This is also a special day because we're looking at the discipline of solitude, which seems like, so you're going to tell me to go be alone somewhere? Kind of, yes. Um, This discipline of solitude is an interesting one because I believe it is an asset and a partner to almost every other discipline that we've studied thus far. Solitude is a key component in your prayer life, in your meditation, in your study. Solitude is a key component even in simplicity. So if we get this, it's going to enhance all of the other disciplines that I hope we're trying to journey through together this summer. So it's a big day. Let me pray, and we'll see what God has for us. Father, thank you for your love, your kindness, your goodness, your gentleness. Thank you for your word and its truth. Thank you for your grace in your call upon our lives unto salvation. God, may we celebrate you today in all of this. May our hearts and our souls be ready to hear from you. God, whether that be in a gentle whisper or in a loud roar, we want to hear your voice. We want to be transformed by you. We want to look more like you. God, we want to be used for your kingdom and for your purposes. We want to be a church that is seasoned with your gospel and with your love. And God, we're where men and women walk in discipleship as they pursue you. We want to be that for your glory. So God, today, do what you're going to do to make that happen. We give you the honor. We give you the glory. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. There is a lot of noise in your life. There's a lot of chaos in your life, even if you don't feel like your life is chaotic. Walk down the streets of any major city, and as you pass people, it is ironic what you see. You will see them with earphones in. You will see them with phones out. You will see them in a complete bubble of noise and chaos. They produce it and love it and seek it. You get in your car, and driving in silence is not an option. You you turn the radio on. You've got the kids going. You're just seeking noise so often. We live in a world where we actually bolster and praise those who live so chaotically and stressed that they're constantly worried, but they look at you and go, I haven't slept in a day. This is incredible. I, I don't even know which way is up, but you should see how productive I'm being. We, we praise people for their stress level because it obviously means they're driven. We Seek chaos and noise like no other culture in the world. And I think we do so for two reasons. But the reasons all stem from one really dark spiritual truth. In our moments of silence, When we've disconnected from this world, when the kids are away, when the radio's off, when the TV's not on, when the email's closed, in those moments of silence where the loving creator of the universe, whom we claim to follow with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, in those moments of silence when he can speak to our hearts, we actually are terrified of those moments. We're terrified of those moments for two reasons. One, Because for some of us, in those moments when the God of the universe speaks to our hearts, he speaks to us regarding our idols, our desires that have become non-negotiable, 
the, the things in our life that have taken second seat or first seat to God in our lives, our desire for security, our desire for status, our desire for wealth, that these things that have become idols. Ezekiel chapter 14 says that the way that the God of the universe works is if he sees one of his children who have placed an idol in their hearts, then he in love is going to only talk to that child regarding the idol in their heart. And he does this not to be mean or rude. He does this for one thing, to reclaim the hearts of his people. He is a jealous God who loves us dearly and who wants us to give him our full hearts. And when we have an idol in our heart, it, we do not give him everything. So in those moments of silence, God speaks to us and we hear him because there's not a ton of noise anymore. And what he's saying is, so about that security, so about that relationship, can we talk about that? And you go, of course not, because it's non-negotiable. So can you please stop talking? No, he can't, because he's God. So we drowned him out with noise. The second reason is tied to that. It's a fear of loneliness. We're actually afraid of our own thoughts and our own hearts and our own minds. We would much rather surround ourselves by people and things because in the moments of solitude, in the moments of silence, in the moments of one solitary thought. We have nothing else to distract us. We have to look inwardly, and when we look inwardly, the person that we see is not the person that we want to be. So we fear loneliness. We fear introspection. We fear being in those moments where we have to examine ourselves and see who we are for who we really are. And you're going, this is depressing. <laughs> And I agree. So the path of least resistance to having to deal with our idols and having to deal with our own image and our own flaws and our own sinfulness, the path of least resistance is to just tune out the voice of God. And it's so simple to do because our world is so loud. We just have to live, and there's plenty of noise in our normal life to tune out any prompting of God. We have to seek solitude in order to hear and see God. Now, I want you to understand that is the purpose of solitude. It's defined that simply. The purpose of solitude is to hear and see God. And if you're still wondering, like, how in the world is me running to a isolated place going to help me hear or see God? Well, while there is a physical component to solitude, and while there is value in isolating yourself because the things of this world are not yelling in your ears in isolation, that physical component of solitude is actually only one small piece of it. There's far more. Because what can be found in isolation is a direct link to what Richard Foster calls the sanctuary of the heart. I want you to make sure you get this. The God of the universe does not dwell in tents and tabernacles made by the hands of men. The God of the universe chose to set up dwelling in your heart. The Holy Spirit resides in your heart. Therefore, making your heart a sanctuary for the God of the universe. 
And in those moments of isolation, in those moments of solitude, we can tune into the sanctuary of our heart and we can begin to hear God. Solitude is the discipline that allows us to commune with that God in the sanctuary of our heart. And while solitude does involve physical components, sometimes it involves isolation, solitude can be found in the midst of large crowds and in the midst of chaos because solitude and silence can come in the sanctuary of our heart. So you can be in the midst of the most chaotic season in your life. You can be in the midst of screaming kids. You can be in the midst of crazy coworkers. You can be in the midst of insane amounts of media just flashing your face. You can be in the midst of all that and still find solitude in the sanctuary of your heart. It's this beautiful truth that I think we miss so often. Whether you are alone or among people, we always carry with us the portable sanctuary of the heart. And if you possess the inward solitude necessary, you will never fear being alone. You won't fear those moments of introspection because you will know that you are never alone. In those moments where you are required to listen, where you're required to look, where you're required to see, you will understand that dwelling within you is the loving, gracious God of the universe who can more than sufficiently take care of all of your sin, who can more than sufficiently take care of all of your doubt, who can more than sufficiently take care of all of your fears. He is a good and gracious God, and he dwells within you, and in solitude we connect with him. Jesus sought physical solitude, and if there was any person that has ever walked the face of the earth that didn't require solitude to engage in and commune with the God of the universe, then it would probably be Jesus. But look at just a few of the times in his ministry that the gospel records him leaving everything to go be alone and to find solitude. He began his ministry that way with a temptation in the desert. For 40 days and 40 nights, he was alone in the desert. It wasn't until the very end of those 40 days that Satan came in and tempted him. He was completely alone. Why? To commune with the Father, to prepare for the ministry at hand. Before he chose his 12 disciples, this was important to get this right, to make sure that he picks the right 12 guys that are going to transform the world. He goes up on a mountain and he prays for the entire night. You go up on a mountain not because you're closer to God geographically. You go up on a mountain because no one else is up there in the middle of the night. You go there to seek solitude. After a long night of ministry early in his career, Jesus got up very early in the morning, Mark 1.35 says, and he went to a solitary place for the purpose of prayer. He was exhausted. He had been healing people well into the early morning hours. Everyone else is passed out on the floor. He's like, I got to go pray. He sought solitude. After John the Baptist's death, one of his closest friends and probably a relative, he sought solitude for the purpose of grieving and healing. After the feeding of the 5,000, probably one of the highest points of his ministry, literally after this point, they tried to make him king by force. And he, instead of following the crowds back into Galilee, instead of being like, I'm the man, what did he do? He told the disciples, tell them to go. He turned and he went up another mountain to be alone, to pray, to recenter, to make sure he was focused and recharged because he knew his task and communing with the Father was paramount to that task. He went up on another mountain 
And on top of that mountain with his three closest friends, the mountain becomes consumed with a cloud. And from that cloud, for the, the second time in his life, the voice of the father comes and he says, this here is my son. I am incredibly pleased with him up there in solitude, and you got Moses and Elijah showing up, and, and they hang out. Jesus is hanging out with these two guys who have long since gone to heaven, and he's talking to them, he's communing with them, but he went to the mountaintop, sought solitude, and probably the most telling moment in his ministry and in his life was in the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before the cross. He looks at his disciples, he says, most of you stay at the gate. He takes his three closest friends, the one who'd been on the mountaintop with him. He says, you stay here under this tree. And then he went a, yet another stone's throw away to be alone, to pray, to prepare his heart for this. Jesus sought solitude. Now I want to make sure that we throw a synonym in here. Solitude and silence are the same exact thing. You can say correctly that Jesus sought silence just as accurately as you can say he sought si solitude. Silence and solitude are the same thing. So at some point, we have to see that these are one and the same. They are not exclusive. The idea of solitude is actually just seeking silence so that you can commune with the Father. Without silence, there is no solitude so sometimes you have to go away by yourself to find silence. Other times you can find silence right in the midst of everything, but it's when we find solitude and silence is when we connect with the Father. There's some wisdom that Solomon gives us regarding solitude, how we should engage in these moments. It's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 and 2, it says this, Solomon speaking, says, Guard your steps when you go into the house of God. When you approach God, when you go to pray, walk lightly. Now, Ecclesiastes, Old Testament book. Hebrews, New Testament book. Hebrews switches up a little bit how we're supposed to approach God. In Hebrews it says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Let us do so boldly so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So as we approach God, the cross changed how we do so. We can boldly and with confidence approach the throne of grace and in doing so find the help that we so desperately long for. Just make sure that you see the New Testament change there. The rest of this still applies, though. Solomon says, go near to the throne of God to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Now, the sacrifice of fools is an interesting phrase there. The sacrifice of fools is humanly initiated religious talk. Have you ever thought about how you commune with God? Have you ever thought about how flippantly sometimes we go and just start to talk? And have you ever engaged God with ridiculously religious banter? Holy and precious, most gracious God, I beseech thee on behalf of thine self that thou might... It's just like, that is the sacrifice of a fool, according to Solomon. We, we don't go and offer the sacrifice of a fool. We go near to God not to speak, but rather to listen. It's, he says, Solomon continuing, he says that those who offer the sacrifice of a fool, they don't know what they're doing is wrong. 
And for, and for those who have done that, you think you're doing what's right. You go before God, you throw out some religious talk, you, th- you think that's good and right. And Solomon agrees, you don't know what, that what you're doing is wrong. But he says this, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your hearts to utter anything before God. Have you ever thought of that? To go before God and just sit in silence? To not just start ripping off your list or telling him how good he is. Just go and be silent. God is in heaven. You are on earth. Best advice from this passage, let your words be few. So you're going, well, this is great. So I just go to God. I sit there for half a second. I say two things and I leave. Okay, I got this. Now, um, communing in the presence of God, being in the presence of the Father, there is, there's richness and there's value there and there's something so special about it. I don't think what Solomon is saying is get in and get out. I think he's saying approach the throne of grace knowing that in doing so, God is capable and more than willing to help you in any way that is needed. But don't be hasty. Don't be rushed. Don't be fast. Don't don't miss this opportunity. You are in the presence of God. Acknowledge that. Sit in it. Swim in this grace and in his love. And then somewhere down the road, when your spirit is prompted, offer up just a few words. Just a few words that I believe can be divinely given. Let that be the barometer of your prayer life. If you've ever engaged in a conversation where two people were just simply talking at each other, you know how senseless it is how most of us approach God. My wife and I are incredible at this. We will both be lying out the most incredible argument as to why we're right and the other one is wrong, and we are not hearing a dang thing the other one is saying. Because she's telling me eloquently why she's right, and I'm telling her eloquently why I'm right, and we are talking at each other and having no form of conversation. Let's just assume that God wants to speak to us every single time we go into his presence. Let's assume that is true. How silly is it then for us to lead off with all of our stuff? It it really is like Paige and I. We're talking, he's talking, guess what? Nobody's communing. Nobody's hearing. Nobody's engaging. It's just two people talking at one another. When you go to God, let your words be few. We talk so much because we want the control. By not speaking, it makes us let God be in control. Please hear that. You go before God because you're like, I don't want to give up any kind of the authority in this relationship. God, I know you're God, but I'm going to let you know how it's going to be. I'm going to let you know what I want, and I'm going to get out of there. We speak because we fear giving up control. How humbling and terrifying is it to go before God and say nothing and just listen? It is terrifying to me. But silence is intimately related to trust. Silence is intimately related to trust. We have to trust and believe and have faith that God is going to speak to us 
We do not need to justify ourselves before him or before anyone else. We sit silently in his presence. How do we find this silence? How do we find this solitude? Three just practical tips. You need to take advantage of the little solitudes that fill your day. Here's just a few examples of the solitudes that fill your day. First thing in the morning, the alarm goes off. What is the first thought that comes to your mind? What is the first thing that happens in that moment? Now, if you're waking up at 10.30, college students, there's probably stuff going on around you. You're not going to find a moment of solitude there. But for, for the adults in the room who are waking up at 6, 5.30, the sun's just coming up, every kid's hopefully still asleep, you, 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 have, you have 30 seconds right there. What do you do with that first moment of solitude? At nights before you go to bed, what do you do with your last thought? What do you do as your pillow, as your head hits the pillow? Those, those moments of solitude. When you're stuck in traffic and it ain't going nowhere and you're alone, what do you do with that moment of solitude? Do you curse the construction worker who's stopping you? Or do you say, this is a moment where I can commune with the Father? If you're taking a walk, whatever it looks like, those moments of solitude, first just learn to take advantage of the little ones that you have all day long, all day long. Second, it might be beneficial to develop a quiet place. This is where I go. This is the park bench that I sit on. This is the tree in our backyard where I, uh, and your family knows when mom's out there, you don't talk to mom for just a few minutes. You, you just know when mom goes on this walk or when dad is out here, that is his spot. That is his time to model that for your children. How beneficial to, for them to learn that for these next five minutes, it's quiet. Not because you're disciplining them, but because you're communing. Find a quiet spot. Make it your place. Love the fact that that is where you go to meet with God. And then finally, if you really want to try something crazy, go one day without speaking. And you're just like, oh, that'd be fun. Try it. Go one whole day without speaking just to listen, to listen to people, to listen to stuff, to be able for maybe the first time in your life to see how much noise is really in your life. Go one whole day with no words. Those are just some simple things. As Nick comes back up here, I want to read a quote. It's taken from Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, and I want you to answer these questions. Do you feel a tug? Do you feel a yearning to sink down into the silence and the solitude of God? Do do you feel that? Do you long for something more? If you were to listen, does every breath crave deeper, fuller exposure to the presence of God? It is the discipline of solitude that will open the door to those desires. It is silence that will open the doors to those desires. You are welcome to come in and listen. Listen to God's speech, his wondrous, terrible, gentle, loving, all-embracing silence. Now he says this, Foster says this, for one reason. Most of you in this room 
don't audibly hear God. Some may count yourself blessed. But most listen to this wondrous, terrible, gentle, loving speech of God. We listen to it in silence as he prompts our soul, as he fills our hearts, as he guides us and leads us. But he does so in silence. And church, we've got to get over this because we're terrified of silence. Yet that's how he speaks. In whispers. Do you long for more? Will you seek his solitude and his silence? Do you crave deeper, fuller exposure to his presence? It's there. It's for you to have. What we're going to do for the next few moments is try to illustrate your life. And I'll be honest, church, I think we nailed it. I think in the next two minutes and eight seconds, you are going to go, dear heavens, that's my life. And I think you will see the futility of trying to hear and commune with God at the pace and in the way that you live your life currently. And it is my prayer and it is my hope, church, that this next two minutes and eight seconds will be an indictment against how you live your life. So that you'll see and that you'll know and that you'll discover that the God of the universe wants to relate and commune with you. And the best way we're going to do that is through solitude, is through silence.